What is going on? Ray Woodson back with you for episode numero ocho, Triples Alley Reports. And as I speak, it feels like I'm in a cornfield. I'm surrounded by bins and boxes as high as my eyes. You'd think we were moving the Getty Museum. We have so much crap. I would not wish this upon my worst enemy. Actually, no, I, I would wish it upon my worst enemy. That I would do because it's that bad. But the end game is, is good. We're going to have a home base in Arizona, and that's where it's at for baseball in the offseason. Ahmed Farid, who did uh, Giants pregame and postgame shows all season for NBC Sports Bay Area. That could not have been easy in September. Uh, he joins us in a few minutes, but uh, we will cut to the chase because there's a lot of news to get to, including from the Giants, who have outrighted several players to AAA. Also, Chase Darneau, Kelby Tomlinson, Miguel Gomez, and Casey Kelly become free agents. And that makes room for several players being moved from the 60-day disabled to the 40-man roster. That includes Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja, Buster Posey, and Pablo Sandoval. Also, the Giants lost a guy who was remaking their farm system, David Bell, who's been vice president of player development, is the new manager of the Cincinnati Reds a Cincinnati native, a minor league manager for the Reds. His dad, Buddy, in the front office used to play for the Reds, and his granddad, Gus, was an all-star outfielder for the Reds in the 50s. So no wonder why uh, David Bell was tabbed as a serious contender for this job from the get-go. In fact, David and Buddy Bell are the fifth father-son duo to have managed in the major leagues. David Bell played for six major league teams in his 12-year career, including the Giants, and he's remembered for scoring the pennant-winning run for the Giants in 2002, and I think he was uh, the guy who was heading home when J.T. Snow rescued Darren Baker, Dusty's kid, during the World Series. And now look at Darren Baker doing great things for Cal. We all feel old. Uh, listen, David Bell is a tough loss for the Giants. They were already seeking a new general manager, but it makes sense that Bell would go to Cincinnati. It's a homecoming for him. A combination of uh, old-school, hard-nosed attitude and modern analytics. A guy who understands how information can help you, but also knows people. Has that personal touch. And you'd think that's pretty much what the Giants are looking for in their front office. But a big part of that will be to make the minor league system right. And now with David Bell gone, that's an additional task for the new general manager. And as we uh, tweeted out right after the news broke uh, about David Bell, the work to remake the farm system is continuing. And Bell, you would hope, gave them a template. Uh, Bell is heading to the Reds with a low bar. They've won 67, 64, 68, and 68 games the last four seasons. And he was one of those guys that some thought would be a successor to Bruce Bochy with the Giants. But now he's got a three-year contract with the Reds with a team option for 2022 as he heads home. And for him and for others with the Giants, maybe not wanting to wait around to see what happens with the front office, get some certainty in your future. Giants bench coach Hensley Mullins and Astros bench coach Joe Espada were reported to be among the top candidates for the Twins opening. Uh, another hot name this offseason is Rays coach Rocco Baldelli. Uh, Twins and Rangers reportedly looking at Baldelli. So there could be changes in the Giants coaching staff as well, pending Mullins' status and who the new GM is going to be. We talked about the GM candidates last week, about that desire for a younger, more analytics-driven GM with that personal touch. The major names we mentioned apparently still in play, Kim Eng, Jason McLeod, Amiel Sade, Haim Bloom, although apparently the Mets are giving Bloom a serious look as uh, we uh, do this podcast. Uh, things can't change right away because it is the World Series. No major announcements can be made. But uh, the point here is the Giants have move toward analytics-driven information in recent years. Maybe some resistance along the way, but they're getting there, trying to keep up 
with the times, even if the roster doesn't reflect that just yet. But they're looking for that merge between what the numbers say and what the eyes say. Analytics and scouting working together as you assess young players. So we'll see if uh, the Giants make an announcement on this right after the World Series or a little bit later. Uh, Brian Sabian will likely represent the team at the general manager meetings in a couple of weeks. And some of the potential candidates could be there as well. Uh, The Giants are coming off 64 and 73 win seasons with a weak minor league system. So this is a tough job trying to remake that system, continuing that work, and trying to build the Major League roster back into a competitive group. What would attract a new GM? Well, it's still an organization with some gravitas. And that gravitas includes some green. They've got money to spend, and they've got a willingness to do it. It's just how you spend it. What's the right way to do it, given the ballpark in the National League West? And you've got a great fan base, and you've got a great ballpark. So, There's a lot there that the Giants still have going for them, as as rough as it's been the last couple of years. Now, who's that money going to go to? That's going to be the big question. There are reports that the Giants are going to show a great deal of interest in Patrick Corbin, who will be the top free agent starting pitcher available. Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe reporting that. Uh, He says Corbin projects to $20 to $25 million a year. Uh, He's reporting the Dodgers, Braves, and Yankees are also interested The Giants in the past have been loath to get into a bidding war, but they can attract a starting pitcher. Now, I can hear some fans right now saying, wait, wait, wait wait a minute. Don't they need more hitting? Don't they have a bass backwards? Well, first of all, if you're missing Johnny Cueto and not certain what's happening with Madison Bumgarner, another lefty, Corbin is a pretty nice backup plan. He's going to be a lot more expensive than Bumgarner, though. Also, luring him away from a National League West rival is a plus, and he's beaten the Giants like a drum lately. 3-1, 2.27 ERA against the Giants last season, including a one-hit shutout. But again, that was the Giants he was facing. It was not exactly murderous row, but overall his numbers were very good. It was his best season. 11-7, 3.15 ERA, 246 punchouts in 200 innings. And 29, he's the bell of the ball in the free agency market for starting pitchers. And as we've said before, the Giants can attract pitching because of that ballpark. I don't think they're changing the configuration anytime soon, and that includes triples alley, for better or for worse. We have no idea at this point how interested Corbin will be in the Giants once free agency begins after the World Series. He he might want to see who the Giants tab as the new GM. In fact, he probably will. Will it make him more comfortable if the Giants lure Amiel Saude from the Diamondbacks? Does he want to see what kind of plan the Giants have to get back into the mix in the National League West? Or does he just want to go straight to a contender? Because the Giants have a lot of work to do. But a smart GM, I do believe this, can turn this around in a couple of years. We'll talk about that, the GM search, free agency, the World Series, and a bunch more now with NBC Sports Bay Area's Ahmed Fareed. All right, we're chatting now with Ahmed Farid, NBC Sports Bay Area. Of course, did uh, Giants pregame and postgame all season long, which couldn't have been an easy task this year or last. But uh, then again, you look at the offseason, and there's something to be interested with. Well, I mean, even last offseason, too, you had the Shohei Otani, and then you had the the Giancarlo Stanton. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is you know such an important offseason for them to get the, the head of baseball operations hire right. And I'm really optimistic so far. And, and some of the names that I've heard and some of the people they've interviewed, 
I'm optimistic that they they know there's a there's a world out there where they've they've dipped their toes into for sure, and I think the Giants have been more of an analytical team than people know. But they're ready to jump into the deep end. I feel, and you know, I didn't know if they'd be willing to do that and ready to do that a couple months ago. But it seems like they're ready to to at least see what else is out there and try to try to get the advantage that they've seen some of these other teams like the Dodgers, Houston Cubs get the last ten years or so. Yeah, I want to talk about some of those candidates. I was talking to Ron Wotus last week, and he made that point. He said, you know, we get a bad rap. Uh, it's not that we're against analytics. He mentioned people in their office who, who work on that. It's just that the product on the field doesn't seem to reflect that, at least not yet. Yeah, well, I think, you know, they've been caught. You know, they, they, they were caught with a team and a core that won championships that you don't really want to move on from, and so you lock up. And I think those were pretty good decisions at the time. Um, but then when you've locked them up, what what options do you have to make the team better? You know, you're, there's no way you're going to acquire a Mookie Betts unless you drafted him or a Mike Trout unless you drafted him or, you know, a Aaron Judge unless you drafted him. So at that point, you know, you, you got a team sitting there last year that was almost a 100-loss team. They made a run at trying to just get to 500, maybe become a wild card team. How could they do that and stay under the luxury tax? I give them a lot of credit for how they were able to compete and build a roster and how it fell apart the last month of the season. But, uh, you know, I think if they hit a little bit better before then, I mean, they're a 500 team up until late August um, and then ended up trading McCutcheon and the offense just went in the tank. So, yeah, some of the decisions are like, you know, an analytic team of Houston would never do that. But, you know, along the way, Houston lost 100 games for, what, three, four years in a row, and, and that wasn't very fun for people either. So it's you, you kind of pick which, which direction you want to go in. I don't disagree with the way the Giants have done things, but, uh, but there are certainly some, uh, some improvements to be made along the way. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, Houston, <laughs> they, they did have those terrible years, plus now they have accusations of sign-stealing on top of that. But they, they drafted. They drafted, drafted, they drafted the heck out of it for a few years, and, and that's where it's at. And that's where this next GM is going to be so important in talent evaluation. And that's what, you know, I, I've thought of it, too, is, is a lot of times we think of, okay, you know, Chris Stratton, first-round pick. You know, that, you know, he's given some value right now, but not first-round value. Chris Shaw, top pick, will... Will he be able to turn it around, get that swing and miss out of his game? You, you don't know. So where where was the miss? Was the miss in the in the draft and the talent evaluation, or was the miss in the player development? Like I, I was talking with Alex Pavlovich, our, our Giants insider, and he goes, you know, it'd be interesting to see you know, Chris Shaw go through the St. Louis Cardinals farm system and to see them develop him because it seems like the Cardinals can develop outfielders and they have an abundance of them. They can trade him away. Tommy Fan just traded away to the Rays and he became their best outfielder. So, you know, you don't, I don't want to say it's on all drafting. It could be player development too, and that's why they brought in David Bell to try to see if they could shore up stuff on the player development side. But either way, there's, there's been some failures along the way to get that top-end talent to the major leagues, whether it was not drafting it or not developing it along the way. I think absolutely it's been player development. And another part of it is you would hear guys like Bumgarner, Posey, Crawford, when they were coming up saying they expected to win down at the lower levels. There was an emphasis on that because you had to get used to the, what that was like and what that took. And I don't know if that was necessarily the case the last few years. And again, they've been near the bottom in the record, one loss record. And so that, you know, you could say, ah, that doesn't matter that much. If you have good players in the minor leagues, uh, they'll develop. But you get in that habit of winning. So I think it's a combination of things. And it, it, I, I have to think that with the new GM, uh, that Larry Bear is talking about next gen. He's talking about analytics, but he's also talking about guys who know how to win. Yeah, I think that's. I think that is 
hugely important because these are all young kids still, you know, and they're developing their identity. And is their identity as a player who plays on winning teams along the way, or is their identity as someone who gets their brains beat in every every other day? So I think that's a huge deal, and I think that's been a huge disappointment for the Giants is that their farm teams have not been playoff teams. They've not been above 500. They've had some of the worst winning percentages in, in all of minor league baseball. And that's because they they haven't had the talent there, um, and so it's it's all got it's all got to be a total transformation. But I, I agree with you, you know, because you have that feeling of if you've won, you have a feeling of you know, we're going to figure out a way to mm-hmm. to pull this out. And if we don't, then you're even more curious as to why you didn't win because you're so used to it. Now David Bell is gone now. He's uh, gone on to the Reds, which makes total sense. It's a homecoming for him, and uh, I don't know whether he was in any kind of pipeline with the Giants to get to a front office position and maybe he sensed with the changes coming that it was a good time to go anyway but I mean you have a chance to go to back to your hometown I'm with with all that family legacy it makes total sense that David Bell's now the manager of the Reds but he was making some changes in the yeah. farm system and so uh, you hope that continues on that he's kind of set a template yeah, I mean Bobby Evans was too I mean yeah. Bobby Evans was on the forefront of hiring hiring David and trying to you know I give Bobby a lot of credit the last three years I mean they they did. You know, you can't totally change the roster, especially when you got guys locked up and got no trade clauses, which most of them have. But to change the coaching staff and then bring in David, and then they tried some innovative things and tried to have more coaches and so more resources for all these players. Um, yeah, they were already trying to do that. Not ideal that you lose David after just one year, but you don't know how it was going to shake out with the new head of baseball ops with him uh, anyway. And it is funny. It's like I, I talked to some Giants people the last couple months of the season I was like what so what do you think about about David Bell you think he could be a, a future GM and they would go I, I think he could be a, a Bruce Bochy replacement and then you talk to someone else and go oh, I heard he could maybe be a Bruce Bochy replacement and they go well I, I think he could be a great GM so they, they thought he could do both jobs really well and apparently he just wanted to get back on the field uh, and, and so and so good luck and, and good luck for him yeah I don't, I don't blame him at all uh, we've heard names like Hyam Bloom who I understand is is also a major candidate for the Mets job. Uh, Jason McLeod with the Cubs, who I think would be excellent here. Kim Ng, I think would be excellent here. Uh, so, you know, even if a, a couple of those names get crossed off, looks like a pretty strong field. Yeah, I mean, just all those names that they're they're going for right now. And I am I don't know the man, but I am personally in love with Hyam Bloom. You know, just with what the Rays have done, you know, Eric Neander over there as well. Uh, the Rays didn't give permission to talk to him, but but just the, what what they can do with the resources they have, and you hear them talk about players. And I think what people get, I mean, I I, I listened to an interview after the draft with Hyam Bloom about talking about the guys that they ended up taking, and this is not. You know, hey, this guy, we loved this guy's ex-FIP, and we loved this guy's expected WOBA. I mean, he was talking about he's a tall, lanky guy, he's got smooth mechanics, you know. I mean, these are baseball people. We, we, even on the Rays side, when you think ultra, ultra analytics, they're all they're all baseball people that are talking the baseball language. And so I think he would be he would be fantastic just from what little I know from him. But yeah, Jason McLeod, anyone who's been in an organization that's kind of done it both ways. And from the beginning, I've kind of thought that they would lean in the direction of a Former scouting director, former director of player development, uh, who who grew who kind of cut their teeth in an analytic organization. You know, it might not be the head data scientist of the Houston Astros, but it could be the player development guy in the Astros organization that has a pretty good idea of how both things operate. And don't sleep on Emil Sade with the uh, Diamondbacks yeah. as well, because I think he fits 
their script of what the, they want to do, too. And plus, he's been in the NL West. You draw a guy from a rival. But you mentioned uh, Bloom, and uh, he kind of continued on what Andrew Friedman was doing down there. And uh, now, and I've warned people a few years ago, and you probably did, too. Uh, the Dodgers got some smart people in that front office, and, you know, they always spend a lot of money, but it's how you spend it. And here they are, second straight year in the World Series, and they're going to be a team to deal with for at least the next five years. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that was always the concern, right? And that's why kind of the Rays guys maybe going to the Giants is intriguing. The concern with the Dodgers is that, man, you get you get some really smart people that were able to put together winning teams on a shoestring budget, and now you give them $300 million or whatever they did those first few years. Um, yeah, and, and we've seen it, winning NL West titles and now in the World Series for – for two years in a row, I mean they've they've got the pipeline, they've got the hitting, they and they they do it both ways. You know they've drafted well. You know Cody Bellinger's still Cody Bellinger, even though he took maybe a little bit of a step back. But they find the guys, the 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 Taylors and the the Logan Forsythe. You know the guys that you know you go okay, I think he's a pretty good player. But boy, the way they deploy him and how they use him and who he fills in for and who he can and where he can play on the field. It gives them uh, more of an advantage. So, yeah, they look at the game from multiple different angles, and I think as, as tough as it is for the Giants to, to say, I mean, they're, they're a blueprint of what, what they want to be the next five, ten years. Well, I'll tell you what they do. Uh, you know, they've got guys who can play different positions well. they got a bunch of them. They can guy, you know, Bellager is their best center fielder. He's their best first baseman, probably their best popcorn vendor. You know, they got all yeah. these guys who and, – and in an era where we still have a 25-man roster – and you're bullpenning, you better have a versatile bench because that bench is going to be short. Yeah, I mean, and you've got to be have that 40-man roster, too. You know, yeah. you've got the 25 yeah. and then the 40-man because the Dodgers do it as, as well as anyone where the pitching staff is basically being shuffled to the DL and brought back up, and you got like eight starters, nine starters that could, you know, open, close, whatever you want. So, yeah, just the, the flexibility that they've built on that roster and doing it, I mean, this past year, Stand under the the tax threshold themselves. So, yeah, you've got to you've got to have depth. I mean, we saw it with the Giants this year. I mean, they were certainly stung by stung by injuries, but so was everyone else. I mean, the Dodgers are without Corey Seager, who coming into the year I could have said was going to be their best offensive player, and they didn't basically have him for for the whole year. And now they're playing in their second straight World Series. And I know people listening to our podcast now are saying, "Hey, this is a triple Zally report," and you're you're, right. you're you're throwing flower petals to the Dodgers. What the hell? Well, they they may lose in seven again. So <laughs> there's that. Abed Farid, NBC Sports Bay Area, joining us. A um, little bit about the Giants in the off season. Saw that report about Patrick Corbin, and I thought, okay, well, that's just connecting dots. Of course, they'd be interested, yeah. but. Uh, you, and then you pointed this out on Twitter. They've got to hire their front office before they even dive into that. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of reports. And, and right now, any report linked to the Giants, you just have to take with a huge grain of salt. Because, yeah, I mean, any team would like Patrick Corbin. I'll take Patrick Corbin on, on my team right now. It depends on what you have to pay him, what other teams are, are looking at. But if you're going to hire a guy and you're going to give him the keys, you're going to let him lay out the blueprint. I mean, do you want to add another high salary to the books right now or do you want to go a different route and so these are that that's a report that's coming from the agent I would have to think you know you talk to the agent and the agent says you know yeah we're expecting the Giants to be really heavily involved well of course the agent's going to say that I mean he's hoping every team's heavily involved and, and specifically the teams that have a lot of money to spend so the yeah. Giants are, are one of those so uh, they're yeah the ownership may like a guy you may talk to a guy that's currently there that, that likes Patrick Corman I mean what's not to like about Patrick Corman coming off his best season but the new guy is going to lay out, or woman is going to lay out the the blueprint, and 
they're going to be the one that makes a decision if Patrick Corbin makes sense for this Giants team next year. And in a way it does. I mean, if there's one thing the Giants can do, they can attract starting pitchers with this ballpark. I don't think they're moving a brick out there anytime soon with the configuration. So, And if you're a left-handed pitcher, it's a little different. But still, I mean, you saw what Bumgarner has done. But it makes me wonder a little bit, I mean, if, if that little seed is being planted because there's a thought, okay, there's a chance we're going to be going without Bumgarner. We, we have to move ahead with a plan. Do you see that as maybe one of the tracks they're looking at here? For sure. I mean, that, I think everything has to be on the table right now. And I think that's the beauty of, of hiring someone from outside the organization is that there are no sacred cows anymore. I mean, uh, talking to Alex, he, he made really good points about, you know, a guy like Joe Panic. Joe Panic is a guy that the Giants drafted that they took a lot of heat for drafting as high as they, you know, people thought he was not a first round talent when they took him. And he was a huge point of pride for this organization because of what he became and helped them win a world championship and then an all star. And so for the Giants organization, the old guard to trade and a guy like that is more difficult because you, you have a lot of pride in proving people wrong. You know, you, you everyone was wrong. We were right about Joe Panic. You bring in someone else, they just look at Joe Panic and what he can bring uh, to va- a value this year and moving forward. And the same thing with Madison Bumgarner. You know, he didn't win this new GM three titles. You know, the new GM is responsible for winning the next title. And can Madison Bumgarner help them do that? Or is he better deployed on another team and, and you bring in a bunch of prospects? I think the interesting thing with Bumgarner, though, his value is as uncertain now as it's ever been. Not to say he's not a good pitcher still, because he's still a good pitcher and he's still above average. But his value is not, I don't believe, an ace. He only has one year remaining on that contract now. I mean, for years we've been saying, like, man, he's locked up for years to come very cheaply. Now it's down to one year. And so the difficult thing with a Bumgarner trade is, is figuring out what his value is and how highly other teams value. And if they don't value him as high as they did maybe a year or two ago, and you can't get the return for Madison Bumgarner that you expect, that's, that's, that's a difficult trade to pull off. Yeah, and then you say, okay, well, I'm fine with him staying here. He's still pretty good, yeah. uh, but is he more valuable to you than he is to another team? It, it does depend on the team, but I think you've got to find out. You've got to send out those feelers and see if there's a club out there that really needs pitching. You know, maybe the Yankees come calling, somebody like that, and, and then you have to look at it. Uh, but I, I think for now, you, you can't tell that until, again, you get that front office in place. But if you can get something back for him that's pretty substantial, if you can get Clint Frazier from, from the Yankees, you know, and Sonny Gray, just to throw out a couple names. I mean, why not? Don't throw out the Sonny Gray name. I did that on Twitter, and that, did, that didn't go well. Because I, I, I said, you know, top prospect in Sonny Gray for Madison Bumgarner. Who says no? And I got about 100 replies of Giants fans saying no um, to that. Uh, although I did point out that away from Yankee Stadium, Sonny Gray was actually was very, very good, very good yeah. last year. Um, on Twitter, you'll always get no, of course. Yeah, they, no, one, no one wanted to do that. But, you know, you, you just got to see. And that's part of the whole fascinating thing of what, what's his value. You know, what is Madison? and Bumgarner's value. I mean, Justice Sheffield, what are their top pitching prospects for the Yankees? Are they willing to give up Justice Sheffield six years for one year of Madison Bumgarner? Yeah, if they knew that Madison Bumgarner was going to come in and deal. You know, and I I think that's still maybe a little bit of a question. Yeah, I think that's one of the big questions, though, for for the Giants in the offseason, also whether they deal Panic or Brandon Belt. And and again, it goes back to how much value is he to your team versus versus another team. you got to find that out. But I, I just wonder... You know what the overall philosophy of that new person is going to be. If they look at 2019 and say, "All right, heck, I will try to compete now," until I come up with a long-term plan. Do you kind of see that as maybe 2020 is the reset date? 
Maybe, you know, but it's funny, like if they go the raise route, I mean, they could say that every year, right? I mean, we just don't have the payroll this year. I don't know if we like the guys, but they find guys. You know, they find valuable one, two-win players, three-win players if you want to go by war. They find guys, and they unearth them, and they, they make trades of, you know, maybe extra pieces in one franchise. The, the Cardinals' fifth outfielder all of a sudden becomes the Giants' third outfielder and a really valuable piece. So I think they can still, you know, while they try to develop and draft well, I still think that there are deals to be made that, you know, may make you better. You know, it might not be the, you know, hey, we'll give this Bryce Harper $400 million deal, you know, because I don't think they're one player away. Um, But I I do think that there are, you know, they don't need to totally tear it all down because I don't know that there's a ton to tear down at this point or you'll get a lot back for some of the pieces. Um, Yeah, just try to make, you know, good moves along the way and get back to where you're you're competing at the at the end of September, where they were competing at the end of August this past year. Well, at one point they were 45 and 40, and then, you know, guys left the premises because of injuries, and then McCutcheon, as you mentioned. So, but but it's always the same story. It's been the same story for them the last few years. Score four runs. Yeah. It's not a high bar, you know. No, I mean that, and that's the thing where it's a little frustrating too. It's they have this ballpark, and and the, you know they won championships without hitting home runs for sure. And a lot of people say, oh, they got to they got to move in the fences, and I say, you know, they went to Cincinnati, and they didn't hit a whole lot of home runs. The Giants went to Colorado, and they got out homered by the Rockies, and so you, you move the fences in, and if you don't have a team that hits home runs, guess what? That other team still does, and they're going to hit home runs a little easier. I, I kind of would love to see them develop a squad that really utilizes their ballpark. You know, athletic outfield, and I think we're starting to see that with Steven Duggar can track stuff down in Triples Alley. But just a you know line drive, speedy team that that really you, you play 600, 700 ball even at your own ballpark, and then you're still a good team on the road. I, you know, can you do that and and still be effective on the road? I, I'm not totally sure, but it'd be fun to see a team that was totally geared for it. You know, screw the home run, just just become that team that's that's speedy and pops one every once in a while. You get those right-handed pull hitters, but but can utilize the ballpark well. I'm one of those who says they could use a little more power, a little more. But if you're going to hit 120, 130 home runs, you'd better do a lot of other things well. So that's where the athleticism comes in. Ahmed Farid, NBC Sports Bay Area, joining us for a couple of more minutes. And speaking of athletic outfields, good Lord, these two teams in the World Series. I haven't seen a gathering of outfield defensive talent like that. And I haven't seen so many clutch outfield plays as we've seen in this this postseason. So that kind of gets to the point of where this game is going. And it's the convergence of the the great athletes. You've you've drafted well. You've developed really well. You've deployed your guys. You know, Cody Bellinger, some franchises might say, oh, I think he's just kind of more of a first baseman type, but he's their best outfielder. Center fielder plays first base too. It's almost unheard of. You just don't think of that, but the they, they Dodgers did think of that. Um, and I think both teams deploy him really well. You know, we talk about the infield shift so much, but, you know, the outfield has shifted around just as much as the infield has over the past few years. And so, you know, when Andrew Benintendi's making that play running in against the Houston Astros, he doesn't make that play if he's, you know, three feet to the right or three feet back. Or, you know, so it's they're, they're just positioning him well. They're using the data to do that. And uh, But those players are fun, are fun to fun to watch because they are like you say they are the athletic type that also have that power and, and they, they can hit the ball out of the park I mean Mookie Betts and and, and Benintendi and Bellinger and 
they're just fun, fun to watch. And even even Puig, you know, when he when he gets going, he's he's a very useful player for them. So it's it's yeah, yeah those outfields are very fun to watch. Could see Mookie at second base. Yeah, I know, that, and that's always the funny thing. It's like what what team has the advantage when you get to the World Series? Because I always feel like it's the National League team. Because I, you know, they don't maybe have that prototypical DH, but. A lot of times in the American League, they don't have that either because they're rotating guys. They're using the DH as more of a rotation, give a guy a kind of a half a day off. So, yeah, they, the Red Sox have to figure some stuff out to get all their all their big bats, J.D. Martinez, uh, on the field. But, yeah, Mookie can do it. I don't, I don't put anything past Mookie bats on the baseball field. Well, I, I don't put anything past him, period. The guy's going to be a professional bowler. You yeah. know, <laughs> he's done yeah. with baseball. Who do you like in this series? Uh, you know, I... Just the way that the Red Sox rolled through the... I thought Houston was going to win it all. I thought they were going to be able to come back and win the whole thing. And so when the Red Sox beat them, I was like, you know what? They, they may be the real deal. So, yeah, we can we can root for the Red Sox against the Dodgers. I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm fine with that. And, you know, they won, what, 108? Yeah. And they beat a couple of 100-win teams to get here. So they, it was very impressive. And they, and they did it rather easily, too, on yeah. top of that. So... They look really, really solid. I'm going to throw this one at you real yeah. quick cause, because we were debating about it last week. Uh, and I talk with my friends about it all the time, and there, there's a couple guys who are total analytics guys. And uh, I feel like the modern-day player, the athleticism they have, they would do very well in the 60s and 70s. And the players back then, the great ones would adjust today. But these athletes, these players now, are so much better. They talk about, oh, they don't have fundamentals. They don't pay attention to detail. Well, if they don't, and I don't think that's necessarily true, their athleticism overwhelms all of it. What do yeah. you think? I mean, there's millions and millions of reasons why these players are trying to figure it out and trying to be better. You know, I mean, there's so much more money in the game today that yeah. to think that they're not trying to get every, you know, ounce of that, you know, and... I mean, if you're a 270 hitter as opposed to a 300 hitter or, or a two-win player as opposed to a four-win player, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. So there's enough incentive there for all these guys to, to try to be better than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago on the field. But, you know, you look at any any sport, right? Olympic sprinters are running faster now than they were back then, and, and swimmers are swimming faster now than they were 50 years ago. And so the, the players for sure are are more athletic, and the game's just different. I mean... You know, guys that are making our journeymen are coming up. You see, like I, I forget who it was with San Diego. It was came up. He was making his major league debut at like the age of thirty or twenty nine, and his first pitch was like a ninety eight mile an hour sinker. And I was like, this guy was a journeyman that's now finally getting a chance, and he threw ninety eight and it had sink on it. And it's just so you know the the I think the hitting has taken a lot of heat just because the offensive numbers are down across the board. Yeah. But there are reasons for that. Pitchers, as Prince Fielder once told me in an interview, he goes, you know, pitchers drive good cars too. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. You know, it's a good point. There's there's two to tango there, and the yeah. pitchers just are really good. Yeah, yeah. You got Nathan Avali after two Tommy John surgeries still blowing yeah. it at 100. By the way, I'd, I'd take a look at him too if, if I was the Giants. Yeah. But, yeah, it, is, it really is a different game. All right, well, I'm in uh, baseball season's over, but at least here – I know you're doing like sharks and happy hour and all that, but uh, we're going to see you uh, at baseball venues here coming up. Yeah, I mean we'll uh, we'll do some stuff on you know Alex and and I are locked in the Xfinity Lounge whenever mm-hmm. there's news happening. It happened with Stanton last year, and right. so I'm sure we're going to be updating all the GM stuff. So yeah, I do get a little time to do some sharks. Went down to the SAP Center and went up to Sacramento Golden One and out to Oracle too. So it gives me a little variety. But yeah, we're we're pretty locked in. And then before you know it, it's you know reporting to spring training and we're talking about the Giants in 2019. 
Yeah. You know, you got the uh, winter meetings coming up in December, Hall of Fame vote, and yeah, it all goes pretty fast, and the Warriors carry you through that, and the Sharks are going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, so the, <laughs> I can't say too much about the 49ers right now, but yeah. so we'll just go right by that. But uh, uh, thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast today. You killed it, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to uh, to see what happens this uh, this offseason. I think the next the next few weeks are going to be really telling about what happens over the next you know year, five years for this Giants game. It's going to be critical. Ahmed, thank you. That's Ahmed Farid, NBC Sports Bay Area on the Triple's Alley Report. And thanks again to Ahmed. That's one of the good guys in local media right there. And I said when I started this podcast a few weeks ago, we would be talking to players, to coaches, to members of the media, and we've done that already. And we'll continue to do it through the offseason. That's why I like doing this, uh, because you get a good cross-section of people talking the game of baseball. Game 1 of the World Series coming up Tuesday night. It's hard to believe that L.A. and Boston have never met in a World Series. Uh, L.A., when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers, actually the Brooklyn Robins, faced the Red Sox in 1916. Babe Ruth had a 14-inning stint in one of those games, the opposite of bullpenning. Yeah, he made the smart move going to the outfield. His arm would have been a rag by 1925 at that rate. Instead, he played to 1935 and piled up all those records. But when you get to this point of the season, both teams obviously have momentum. But the Red Sox are so solid all the way around. Going to be interesting to see how they fare with Mookie Betts at second base. He's played there before, but they have to move him to second base. You don't get his great outfield defense, but you want to get J.D. Martinez bat in the lineup in L.A. Every Giants fan is rooting for the kind of inning the Dodgers had in last year's World Series. But guess what? They're in the World Series. Again, second straight year. That's no mean feat. And not for nothing, but ex-Dodger Nathan Avaldi has been lights out for the Red Sox. He's given them an edge in starting pitching. Also a guy the Giants might want to look at at free agency. Yeah, he's had a couple of Tommy John surgeries, but he's only 28. Hard to believe he's only 28. Seems like he's been around forever. And he's, he's touching 100 on the radar gun. David Price is coming off a gem, but so is Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers. Sox ace Chris Sale says he's 100% for Game 1. Had to go to the hospital briefly last week because of a stomach-related issue. He said over the weekend it was an infection from a belly ring, which is either a Hall of Fame injury or a Hall of Fame job of trolling. Was he joking? Quoting here, I'll leave that for you guys to debate. Very coy. At any rate, he has regained about 10 pounds in the past week, and those who covered the team say he looks a lot healthier. But in the postseason, we've seen that in certain games, starting pitching is rendered irrelevant. Now, if Chris Sale is on, or Clayton Kershaw is on, or David Price is on, it's most certainly not irrelevant. And, you know, you have to have some sort of limit on how you use the pen, or they'll be gassed if you have a seven-game series at the end of a long postseason. But when the game gets to the bullpens, the Dodgers have the edge. However, the Red Sox are just such tough outs. Up and down the lineup, they could grind that Dodgers pitching staff over five, six, seven games. And they've got some power, but they don't need to hit home runs to win. So I like the Sox in six. Also, what goofy thing will Yasiel Puig do? It's coming. You know it is. And is he going to tick off the Red Sox? My money's on yes. How many controversial umpiring calls? Now, in the ALCS, some say the Jose Altuve home run that wasn't was a turning point. But in the end, the Red Sox were the better team. Clearly, they were. I thought the Astros would be tough to bet against in this postseason. But the Red Sox have really shown me something, and, and the world, for that matter. And really, they should have, by the way they played in the regular season, winning over 100 games. But the bottom line about that play, as long as fans are that close to the field, you're going to have questions of fan interference. 
And in my opinion, if there is doubt, you side with a fielder. But there would be less doubt if you had better camera angles and separation of the fans in the field. I'm not talking about a moat with alligators, although that would be fun. Or how about like lasers to keep fans from reaching over? Oh, I lost a finger, but I got the baseball. No, you don't want that either. But just a little bit of separation, one or two feet would help. And if you had better camera angles, uh, otherwise people are just guessing. Now, you had one along the wall there in Houston, but I guess a fan was blocking it. And my instinct at the start was to say it must be a bad call because Joe West is making it. Cowboy Joe is all about Cowboy Joe. Just ask Cowboy Joe. He's the show. Not a bad ball and strike umpire, by the way, most of the time, uh, comparatively speaking. But on this one, I mean, from his angle, what kind of call can you make? And, And at that point, you need absolutely conclusive evidence to overturn it. And you need better camera angles and you need transparency. Who's making these calls in the replays? I mean, so there's a whole lot of problems involved with this. But you know what? Baseball probably doesn't mind the controversy, especially in the midst of the NFL season. At least not that kind of controversy. Uh, There was another type involving the Giants a few days ago. Very unfortunate news story. And this is where sports and politics merge. And for those who say stick to sports, to sports figures, media, players, coaches, just know that sports owners don't always stick to sports. And that includes one of the Giants owners, Charles Johnson. Not a shock that a billionaire contributes to political causes, and in this case, the GOP. But it was a $1,000 contribution in particular that he made to a group called Black Americans for the President's Agenda that caught people's attention. The group's directors, by the way, are mostly white, according to reports. The Super PAC supports President Trump's policies and conservative candidates, but a radio ad in Arkansas went too far. It featured two women implied in the ad as African-Americans talking about the sexual misconduct allegations against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and saying Democrats could bring back lynchings if black voters don't support the GOP. And the ad encouraged supporting Republican Congressman French Hill. It was roundly criticized for being racist and full of lies. Hill disavowed the ad, although it's already out there. He called the ad race-baiting, said there is no place in Arkansas for this nonsense. On Friday, Charles Johnson released a statement saying he didn't know his donation would be used for such an ad and that he strongly condemns any form of racism and doesn't condone the ad. However, Vernon Robinson, co-founder and treasurer of the super PAC that created the ad, said that before it aired, he sent Johnson a letter which told of his plan to encourage black people to support Republicans. According to the Chronicle, Robinson said he assumed Johnson thought the letter was good enough to send the $1,000 check. Robinson said he had no plan to pull the ad and will air more in Kansas City and St. Louis. The Giants released a statement calling the ad disturbing and divisive political activity. It goes on to read, quote, The Giants' reputation as one of the most inclusive and socially engaged professional sports teams in the nation speaks for itself. We are unaware of Mr. Johnson's political donations because they are entirely separate from his stake in the Giants' ownership group, unquote. The Giants have been one of the most inclusive organizations around. They have been. I have seen it on a day-to-day basis. But this is a stain they have to work harder to remove. And it's not going over well with some fans. This is by no means a scientific poll, but an overwhelming majority of fans who responded to my question about the news story on Twitter are very unhappy. And I can't say I blame them. A few who said they were on the fence about renewing season tickets say they're jumping off. Others want the Giants to make a stronger statement. A few want Johnson to step down as an owner. The mechanics of that are extremely difficult, by the way. Nonetheless, another fan said they wouldn't buy any merchandise as long as Johnson remains part of the ownership group. 
Another said he would still support the team but would not attend any games if Johnson was still one of the owners. Another fan said Johnson should demand the money back. Not that $1,000 makes a huge difference to a billionaire, but it would be a statement. One fan said the ad's terrible, but a $1,000 donation might fall under the radar for a billionaire such as Johnson. The fan said they would give Johnson the benefit of the doubt that he didn't know and that it was a mistake. Yet another said, although the ad is in poor taste, couldn't we separate the Giants' on-field operations from what uh, an owner does off the field that the team does not control? The counter-argument is that Johnson, although he made the bulk of his money in another field, now profits from how the fans spend on the team, and he's a representative of that team. Another fan said he already pays high prices for tickets, for food, and for merchandise because he loves the team and felt the money was going to a family-friendly local company that values the same things he does. His quote, Now I'm not so sure. As a father and a black American, I have to be sure. As you can see, the comments were wide-ranging and pretty thoughtful. I can't tell fans how to spend their money. Just help them make an informed decision. It's clear the Giants need to make a stronger statement here. Not just a statement, not just words, but action. Because regardless of your political party, that kind of ad is pernicious. And the team and owner have to make that absolutely clear. And that's not clear to some fans right now. But in the end, we know how this works. If enough fans vote with their money, uh, you might see some action. But I hope the Giants, the conscientious organization that they are, uh, they, they look ahead. And they get ahead of that curve. And again, not just with words, but with action. That's Triple's Alley Report number eight. We'll be back next week talking the GM search, talking some more baseball, talk about the World Series, which could be over by then. It'd have to be pretty quick. I said the Sox in six, so if they win, I will crow about it. If they lose, well, it never happened.